Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church of Delaware, where we seek to consider and discuss the biblical implications and life issues that come out of our study of God's Word. My name is Jared Cooper, and I'm joined this morning, as always, by our pastor here at Grace Community Church, Paul Shirley. Good to be back, Jared. Continuing our discussion on the family and the importance of guarding our family and some of the dangers that we face uh, as dads, as moms, uh, as folks who are trying to guard against the world. And I wanted to talk today about children, and I wanted to give you an opportunity because at the end of our podcast last week, you had talked a little bit about, you know, how the government's kind of reaching into a little bit into our homes in the sense that, you know, right now we just heard from our president that there's going to be first two years of preschool or or early education free or, or however many years. And then also into college age, where the first two years of college are now going to be paid for. Uh, what do you think some of the dangers are there? I know you had talked discussed a little bit, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to kind of dive into that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the danger there is some kind of tinfoil hat danger. You know, I don't think that <laughs> government's coming to take your kids away. Uh, Unprofitable I, theories. Right. I, I think the danger there is just how easily we will give away the influence that we have over our children at such an early age for things like convenience or other motives as well. I just, you know, I think that uh, parents need to think long and hard before essentially putting their kids in a school full time and losing primary influence at a young age. The younger your kids are, the more impressionable they are. And um, obviously it's not a sin to put your kids in preschool. That's not what I'm saying at all, but culturally to create the expectation that from the age of three or four, a child should be away from mom and dad for eight hours a day, up to five days a week. Culturally, I don't think that that's a helpful practice. I don't think that's going to create a stronger and more righteous, just culture uh, by by doing that, because I think the Lord is designed for families to be the chief influencers of cultures by influencing specifically the next generation. And so as Christian families, we just want to be careful not to kind of go with the tide of, of cultural whims and, and just think carefully about some of these things, especially uh, how we are going to use the influence we have over our children especially in the formative years of their life. Uh, and so I think that's that's the danger there, that that just becomes a norm and that, that that is never questioned. Again, it's not a sin to do that, and there are certain families that, because of providential circumstances, that, that could be a help and a benefit to them. But even to those families, I would say, uh, even if you have to do that, you have to consider the strengths and the weaknesses of that so that you can protect the influence you have over your children, especially at an early age. So probably the issue that you're, you're most pushing in on is just that idea where you had talked about dads kind of abdicating their role. The same too as parents, we can, we can kind of abdicate our role to raise our children and instead try to push that off on our teachers or, or whoever it is we're trying to give our kids over to. Right. It's not, and it's not wrong to have your kids at school. It's not wrong to have your kids in preschool. Um, what you want to protect and preserve is this biblical idea that mom and dad should be the chief influencers of a child's life. 
So, so you want to be careful to guard that. And I think a lot of families have really, without thinking about it, have given up that role, especially in the context of, of our culture and in the context of schooling. And again, I, you know, you got to get educated. I'm not saying not get educated, but mom and dad should be involved in that at such a level that they are not losing the influence that they have over their kids. And the older they get, the harder it is to hold on to that influence. Some of that's just a natural progression designed by God. Some of that's sinful rebellion in the hearts of our children. So especially at a young age, you want to make sure that that you are protecting that and you are what we might call the chief influencer in your child's life. You've obviously thought through this too. You have three girls for our listeners who maybe don't know, but three girls, yep. uh, they're older now. But I mean, when you first had kids, maybe talk about some of the things that you thought through that were huge priorities. Look, here's what we're going to do for our family. Here's what I really want to kind of nail down. And then even into, as you started to think about handing them off to school, because your girls are in school. Right. Um, so, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah, at a young age, we wanted to make it a priority to teach our girls the blessings of submission and obedience. Uh, The primary role of a child in a Christian home is submission. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is good. I mean, the Apostle Paul lays that out there in Ephesians chapter 6. We we talk about that a little bit in the the Christian home book that we've referenced that, that, that people can get a hold of. There's a lot of information in there, but that's the primary role of a child is to learn to obey your parents so that you'll learn to obey God, learn to submit to the authority that God has placed in your life in terms of your parents so that you can learn to submit to his sovereign authority in your life. Uh, That's the way God has designed the home to work. So we wanted to put boundaries in our girl's life and teach them to obey and as they got older, we wanted to attach um, biblical principles to those boundaries. So step one was we need to teach them that they have to obey. Life is not about getting what they want all the time, which, by the way, you'll have a lot happier children if you can teach that to your children. If your children think that life is about getting what they want all the time, they're consistently going to be unfulfilled and unhappy because they're not going to get their way all the time. That's just not the way the world works. So we wanted to start off by teaching them some of those boundaries. And then as they got older and they're learning to obey imperfectly, but learning it, we wanted to attach biblical principles to those boundaries. So the reason why you need to sit still right now it's not necessarily because you're annoying mommy and daddy. We're not, we're not disciplining you. We're not trying to teach you obedience for our convenience. But we're trying to do this to you because self-control is an important biblical principle. So you need to learn self-control. You need to learn patience. You know, when you come and you're trying to, to rat out your sibling for something they've done, look, when I grew up, Snitches get stitches, but that's not the principle that we, we, we used when we were instructing our, our kids. It, it was what the Bible teaches about gossip and slander. So we didn't have tattletales in our house. We, we, we used the biblical language of gossip and slander. Right. You're calling it what, it, what Scripture calls it, which is huge, huge and very important. Exactly. And that roots it 
Paul tells children, children obey your parents in the Lord. Well, if I'm rooting these things in biblical principles, then my children can draw a direct line between obeying me and obeying God, and they can see that. So, so we tried to emphasize those things. And then along the way, as we're teaching our kids obedience, and we're teaching them obedience specifically to biblical principles by calling sin what the Bible calls sin, that creates the perfect environment in which to teach your children about grace and the gospel. Uh, because if you don't, if you don't have those boundaries, and you're not clear when your children transgress those boundaries, then they're conceptually not going to understand their own transgressions against God and His law, and as a result of that, cannot fully understand the grace of the gospel. So we don't give our children grace by not emphasizing obedience. We give our children grace by emphasizing obedience and then helping them when they disobey, teaching them what repentance looks like, teaching them what forgiveness looks like by granting them forgiveness. And in that, we are instilling the foundational elements of the gospel into their worldview and the way they think about life. You know, I'm realizing as you're talking, there's so much that we could cover on all these different issues, but I do want to push it on just a couple things. First, you had mentioned that, you know, even just getting Junior to sit down and pay attention. You know, I know I've, I've heard from multiple parents where we're trying to figure out how do we get, you know, how do we get our little guy to sit through church service? How do we get our little guy to sit through, you know, just being in nursery and not having to, like I remember when, when we dropped our oldest off when he was little, little, there was basically the throw him in the nursery room door and like shut it with your foot and just wait for the screams behind the door. (laughs) So how have you even thought about maybe just that practical element of trying to train your kids to, to sit down and just listen and be still, because that's one of those first principle things, right? Because before you hand them off to a Sunday school teacher, before you get to the point where you're putting them in uh, pre-K or kindergarten, you're trying to get that done. So how are how did you think through that? And I think those things are important because what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to raise a functioning adult, and also, if the Lord's kind enough to save your children, you want to raise a functioning, useful church member, which means they need to be somebody who can serve with other people and receive discipleship from other people. And you can start that at a young age by teaching them that the church is their family, that, hey, it's okay to sit in nursery with this other gal because she's part of the family of God with us. And, and yeah, you need to go to Sunday school and listen to this person because your spiritual growth as you get older is going to depend upon receiving discipleship from other people in the church. And so those are things you definitely want to be teaching your kids, but just to get really practical, like how do you get a kid to sit still during uh, service? Well, don't require it only Sunday mornings at 1030. Okay. Do me a favor as a pastor. Okay. Do me as, as members of our church, if you're listening, do me a favor. Don't, make the only time that your kid has to sit still and be quiet be when I'm up there talking, because then your kids will hate me. This is why I have lollipops in my desk to bribe the children. This is the same reason why the barber has lollipops, same reason why you get a little prize at the dentist, because <laughs> I know kids, I do not want kids associating me as their pastor only with discipline. So if sometimes they get a little discipline, sometimes they get a lollipop, you know, 
I, 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 I do not want them to resent me. And, and as parents, you can help out with that by having times in your own family life where your children have to sit down, be still, and listen and know, hey, this is not my time to talk. This is not my time to be in control of the situation, whether it's family devotions or some other time where they just need to sit there and listen to other people, sit on the couch, uh, sit, sit. For us, it was dinner. We're, we're going to eat dinner together as a family. Uh, my schedule's kind of in flux all the time. So, so my hours are super weird, but usually I can be home for dinner. So we made dinner our time where everybody's going to sit there. And from a young age, you can't get up unless you're excused. And you got to sit there, feet out in front of you, and be a part of what's going on at the table. And that was our way, not only to have a, a reasonable family time, you know, because too many times dinner can, can easily become like a battle zone. So we wanted to make it a reasonable and enjoyable family time. But it was also a training zone so that, okay, you know what we do at dinner every night? That's what we're going to do on Sunday morning. Uh, and then also, when you get to church on Sunday morning, be reasonable with your kids. Um, we, we brought notebooks and things like that. So the kids could, could doodle in there, write in there, you know, have age appropriate things that they can keep their hands busy with and things that are quiet. For instance, here's a little, here's a little pro tip after three kids. When you bring something like that for your kids, markers are no good because they'll mark up the church pews or seats. Okay. Colored pencils are no good because when those things bang together, it sounds like little tinkerbells playing all throughout the church. You can hear colored <laughs> pencils across the entire church. In case you're wondering what your pastor was thinking about how you're parenting in the pew. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so ideally, ideally for the really little ones that have a hard time with some of those things, crayons work great. They're quiet. You can wash them out. You, you know, little Johnny, little Janie's not going to draw all over their face and leave it on there. So um, crayons work great. Bring some crayons, bring some paper, bring some coloring sheets. Uh, as they get older, one of the things we, we encouraged our kids to do was, hey, just just listen as best you can and try to draw a picture of something that the pastor says. Um, and, and that's the way we tried to encourage participation during the sermon. Um, during the song service, we tried to figure out what the songs would be for church and we would play them in the car and and sing them together with the girls that way when it came time for the music service they were able to participate in it even if they couldn't read um, that's why it's helpful at times for churches to sing easy songs sometimes because it helps little ones to be able to participate with songs that they can remember even though they can't read yet uh, or even if they can read, it's hard for them to either see the screen or, or follow along in the hymnal. So those are some of the practical things that we tried to do is just uh, train them at home and then be reasonable with them when, it, when they're at church. And, and uh, as they get older, progress with them on what it looks like for them to participate in services on Sunday morning. I didn't know that you uh, had taken the grandparent approach to to the kids in the congregation right. with the lollipops, you know. Because right. I mean, I haven't seen you discipline a whole lot of kids in the sense that hey, hey, don't do that. But you know, 
Maybe my kids only. I don't know. We've hung out enough that all my kids know <laughs> your voice like your <laughs> like your girls do. They're like, hey, I shouldn't do that. He's gonna say something to me. Yeah, well, a little <laughs> lollipop every once in a while doesn't. I gave your daughter a lollipop Sunday night, and she went and told my daughter, "Your dad is the best pastor <laughs> in the world." So I would say the lollipop strategy is working pretty Solid. well. It's working so far. Yeah. So you, again, you have three girls. So those are kind of some of the principles that you've thought through, you know, in, in the youngest ages. And then how did you kind of transition? And I know, you know, if you're honest, you're saying I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit. But, right. you know, now you got, you're working towards teenagers. So how has maybe your shepherding changed? And then also maybe some, you know, some discipleship difficulties or maybe how that has grown? Yeah, so we'll have our second teenager um, in about, what, a month or so. We're in that phase of life, um, and one of the things that you have to recognize about parenting, it's always in flux. You never dial it in. It just stays that way. You, you've constantly got to be adjusting, whether it's the pace of, of life or just the way in which you do things. Uh, if you don't adjust, you'll end up stunting your, your kid's maturity. They'll end up stuck at kind of a lower level of life maturity because you're still treating them like they're younger and you're not helping them to progress. So you as a parent have to be intentional about that in the way that you discipline, in the way that you disciple, uh, and in the way that you think about life and even the opportunities that you give your kids uh, outside of your direct protection. Uh, you've got to start expanding their exposure to some of those things and you know, for us, our strategy in that has been we want to protect their conscience. So we don't want to expose them to things that would dull their conscience and normalize sin in their life. But we want to expose them to things that would challenge them and especially challenge their faith. I want my children to have to face hard situations that I'm not going to come in and resolve for them and fix for them because their entire life is going to be filled with hard situations. They need to be ready to face that, and I need to help them for that. So so that's kind of how we've thought through that. And then as they've gotten older, the difficulty of the situations that we want to expose them to becomes um, more burdensome because they can handle more of it. And then also the influence that we try to exert over them, it begins to change as they get older. We're, we're trying to influence the way that they think about issues rather than simply discipline out of them bad habits necessarily, you know, and that's what I want to be able to be transitioning in the lives of my teenagers, be in this kind of flux area of our relationship where we are discussing issues and where, where I'm able to help them think clearly about issues with the wisdom of scripture because I want them to view my leadership as compelling because they're, they're very quickly going to be at an age where they don't have to come back to me. You know, right now they have to come back to me. They have to deal with me on these issues, but, but it won't be long and, and they'll be out of the home and they won't have to come back to me. So, so I want them to want to come back to me because they know, you know what? Uh, dad has answers. He has answers from scripture. He, he helps me think through these issues clearly. And, and he, he, uh, is, is helping me to process these things as they come. So, uh, that's kind of a, 
a, a, a transition in the way that we've begun to, to deal with our kids as they get older and help them process things. You know, when they're younger, you're trying to teach them just obedience. But as they get older, you've got to teach them a more nuanced approach to life and wisdom so that they can obey God without your direct commands, so to speak. Um, so you're moving from somebody who's who's commanding them to do basically everything in life to somebody whose wise counsel is guiding them as they make decisions in life. So how has then discipline shaped those kinds of things? Because, you know, when we're trying to get our children to submit, uh, anybody who's listening who has kids knows that submission is not the first, <laughs> first uh, inclination right. of a child's heart. Right. And so how do you work through discipline when they're younger? And then maybe how does that transition as they get older? Well, when they're younger, you cannot reason with them and help them understand abstract principles. That's what the rod is for. Sin is bad. Sin leads to pain. That's what the rod is for. That's what spanking is for. And that's why the Proverbs say, if you spare the rod, you're not doing your child a service because you're not teaching them those things. You take a two-year-old and you reason with them about all the reasons why it is a bad idea for them to do something. And you are doing them no good. You're actually doing them harm because they can't reason at that level yet. They don't have the language skills or the reasoning skills yet to do that. But they are equipped by God with a conscience that knows what's wrong. And if you can help them to, you can help reinforce what God has given them in the conscience by associating this pain with wrong, not an inappropriate pain, not a dangerous pain, not a long-lasting harmful pain, of course, but help them to associate what they're doing with the pain that comes from sin. You're doing them a service. But then, of course, as they get older, that becomes a less and less appropriate way to discipline your children. They get to a certain age in which one, that would not be appropriate and it would be harmful to your relationship with a teenager and especially a teenage daughter. So that's not an appropriate form of discipline in that way. Additionally, it's not appropriate because that's not the kind of pain that sin ultimately produces and it's not ultimately the kind of pain that your kids are going to care about as they get older anyways. So the discipline has to change. And what I've always told to my children is that, listen, if we can work through this and see the kind of repentance and fruit that's necessary by talking our way through this and communicating through this, then we don't have to get to the discipline level. There are certain natural consequences that'll come. There are certain consequences that'll come from, from bad decisions that they make. But the whole goal of discipline is to teach your children the difference between right and wrong and to drive them back to repentance and help them see their need for forgiveness. And so if I can reason from the scriptures with my children and see them come to the kind of repentance that's necessary and see them seek out the kind of forgiveness that they need, then I don't have to come up with new and different forms of discipline. Now, you know, you're not always going to be able to do that. 
And so you do have to think through, okay, what are the consequences for these things going to be? But parental discipline is not punitive. I'm not just trying to inflict harm at, at some personal or physical or emotional level on my kids because they've done something bad. Uh, parental discipline is a, is a form of correction. You're trying to restore them into the right path. And, and so you've got to keep those goals in mind, especially as they get older and, and constantly be evaluating, okay, as my kids get older, is the manner in which I'm disciplining them accomplishing what I want it to accomplish? Is it accomplishing what scripture says it should be accomplishing? Yeah, and there's a right and wrong way to do it. And I, I know you talked about that a little bit because, you know, you're trying to produce a result, but it's it's hard because you're also, the, the ultimate goal there is not the external result, it's the internal one. And so you're trying to get a, a heart that's receptive to you eventually. And so how have you maybe thought through even just the, the practical actions of how you're disciplining your kids? Because you're also instructing them even when they are two and three, you know, hey, this is sin. This is your discipline. And Jesus came and died for that sin. And that's why you need Jesus. And then ultimately you're growing on that. So maybe speak to some of that, how that, because I know that there's some parents who are saying, hey, I've disciplined my kid and they're just not. I'm just not getting the response that I think I should be getting. And right. so I think there is a right and a wrong way. And maybe there's some clarification there that you could offer. Yeah, there, there is a right way in a billion wrong ways. <laughs> and that's the difficulty there. Um, and, and we could do five podcasts on that. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, one, fathers and parents in general, but especially fathers are not to provoke their children to anger. So if you're disciplining your child in anger, your anger begets anger. So if you're disciplining in anger, then you're going to produce anger in your kids. There's a fail right there. And so that's a big one you got to watch out for. You're not, if your kids know, you know what? I get in trouble when I annoy mom or dad. That's the wrong message that you're sending. You're going to send distance between yourself. And that's your correct. Because the best way to avoid annoying somebody is to stay away from them. So if your parental strategy is, okay, I just warn my kids, warn my kids, warn my kids, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. But I don't actually come down on them and discipline them until I've reached a certain level of annoyance. Then I jump in. Well, then they know, okay, it's not so much wrong to do what I'm doing. It's wrong to annoy mom and dad. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it so mom and dad can't see it. And what do you care if you're not annoyed by it? And when they're little, that means they go off and hide and do what they're doing. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute, the house got real quiet. Oh, my toddler is making trouble. I know that for a fact. <laughs> but that same thing when they're a teenager is really scary, isn't it? You know, mom and dad wouldn't approve of this, but all I have to do is make sure that mom and dad don't find out about it. Well, when they get older and they start gaining independence in certain areas, that's trouble with a capital T. So you don't want to teach your kids that you're in trouble because you annoyed me. You don't want to discipline them in anger. Those things are going to drive your kids away. And so you, you've got to be careful with that. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be loving. You've got to be firm. And I think the biggest thing is you've got to be consistent. It's so frustrating, even for a toddler. You want to make your toddler miserable. Punish him for something one day, and then don't punish him for it the next day. 
or let them run hog wild all over your furniture and treat it like a trampoline at home. And then when you go over to somebody's house and they start, oh, there's a couch. I love jumping on couches. I'm going to jump on this couch and I'm going to jump from this couch to this chair and see if I can clear that lamp. You know, I've done it at home a hundred times. And then all of a sudden they go to do it at somebody else's house and mom yells at them like, you know, that they they were trying to start a new civil war or something like that. I mean, that. in all of the parents' defenses, they usually only do that at the pastor's house. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I've never, ever, ever had anyone do that at my house, ever. <laughs> um, but how frustrating is it for a kid who can't, they're not old enough and mature enough to assess the situation socially and say, you know what, I'm in a social situation that this is not acceptable. They're not old enough for that. So you just have to be consistent. If you're going to discipline them that for that when they're at church, then reinforce those things at home and vice versa. You, you, you've got to be consistent with your kids. Otherwise, it's going to be frustrating. Uh, ultimately, children are going to be much more content and happy if they know what the boundaries are and then have your help to stay within those boundaries. Think of it this way. If you have a relationship with somebody and you're constantly feeling like, I don't know how to make this person happy. I did this one day and, and it made them mad. So I did this the other day and they were mad that I didn't do the thing I did the day before. And the goalposts are always moving. Things are always changing. That's really frustrating when you're in a relationship with somebody. Same is true for parents. If you're constantly moving your goalposts on, on your kid's behavior, they're going to get frustrated by it. You know, if it's, if, if it's funny for them to throw spaghetti at their sibling's face one day and you make an Instagram post out of it, then don't be surprised or angry when your parents are in town and the grandparents are there and they throw spaghetti at grandpa, you know, it's like, hey, this was an internet sensation last week. I bet it'd be even funnier if I nailed, you know, papa with, uh, you know, a meatball. You have to understand that you're guiding them through these things. And you've got to think about that. And you've got to be intentional about that in a way that is gentle, but consistent. And recognize that what you're trying to help your, your children do is respect and love you, not think of you as their best buddy. And that'll come. You'll, you'll, if you're gentle and consistent with your kids, you'll develop the kind of relationship that you want with them. Uh, but but you've you've got to prioritize their good and their development as you think through a lot of these things. So how about when we mess up and we don't do those things, or maybe they're listening. To, some parents are listening to this saying, "Man, I don't do those things well at all." You know, what are some? Maybe you could say this: How important is it to ask for forgiveness for your kids and for them to even see in you? Hey, if I messed up here, you know going and making that relationship right, especially as they get older, obviously. If you're a parent who's never asked your children for forgiveness, then you have failed in that area at some level. You know, if your children are of any age at all, uh, because you have sinned against your children. I've sinned against my children many times and had to go back many a times and ask for forgiveness for them. And that's humbling, but it's appropriate because... Uh, our children need to see these things modeled before them. And also the Bible just calls us to do that, to repent when you need to repent and ask forgiveness when you need to for ask forgiveness. And it doesn't matter if your kid's five 
you know, or 15 or whatever. You've got to be modeling the kind of humility that you're asking for your kids. They need to see that from you. They need to know that daddy needs forgiveness just as much as they need forgiveness. They need to understand that the, that the gospel is the only way of salvation for all of us um, and that Jesus is the only perfect man. And if you are trying to act like mom and dad could never be wrong because we're mom and dad and you're a kid, then you're sending mixed messages about the exclusivity and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and who he is. So you, you, you've got to go back and model these things. And when you ask for forgiveness, don't do it in a lame way. Do it with the same kind of thoroughness and humility that you would require your kids to do it uh, so that they can see you living out these things and that they can recognize, man, dad's a sinner too. Uh, he needs the gospel and he needs God's forgiveness as well. That helps them interpret their own lives in light of the truth of scripture. And it teaches them a lot, a lot uh, uh, about what they can expect from life moving forward. Yeah, I always tell my oldest that, you know, he got the worst parenting because as you learn and as you continue to grow as a parent, you know, the, the last one <laughs> gets the best of you. So if you were to help new parents uh, or even parents who are, you know, trying to continue to be faithful, what's the one thing that maybe you'd say, look, I wish I'd have just done this a little bit better or been a little more consistent in this particular area? Is there anything you've thought through that you're saying, man, really wish I'd have dialed this in a little earlier? Yeah, I, I think that's um, a few things. One is the humility to ask for help. Um, talk to other parents. Talk to your elders, talk to your pastors, talk to other parents who have been through what you're going through, get discipleship, get help, uh, even evaluating your own family life. Hey, what do you see? You know, be honest. Don't, don't hold back. What do you see? Um, you know, I, I wish I had done more of that at an earlier stage in our family life. Uh, so that kind of humility to ask for help, I think, is important. Additionally, don't be so prideful that you can't change. If you're listening to this or studying these issues out, or maybe you picked up the book and you're reading the book on, on the Christian home about parenting, and you're seeing some things that you haven't done, don't get insecure and say, well, this guy or these biblical passages must not be right because I've done it this way and my parents did it this way and I turned out okay. Look, don't be so prideful that you can't change. And if you got a course correct, course correct. And as you're doing it, don't be afraid to just tell your family, hey, we've been doing this wrong. Here's what the Bible says, and here's some adjustments that we're going to make. Um, work through those things graciously, patiently. Talk about it with your spouse and communicate those things to your kids. Don't, be humble enough to ask for help. Don't be so prideful that you can't change. And then uh, the, the last thing I would say to parents thinking through these issues is be comforted by the kindness of the Lord. Our mistakes as parents are not going to keep our kids out of the kingdom. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to ruin our kids. We can be a help to our kids, or, or we can make things harder for our kids for sure. But ultimately, uh, the, the, the eternal state of their soul rests in the hands of our kind Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so we can be um, comforted by that, and even comforted by the fact that where we have failed as parents, that the Lord will be kind to forgive us. Um, 
that's one of the things that should draw us to the Lord is his goodness and his kindness. Uh, we're often motivated to obedience by the discipline of the Lord, and that's appropriate, and that's biblical. When we get out of line, the Lord is kind enough to bring us back into line, into conformity with his holiness. And that's a kindness, and it's difficult, but it's still a kindness from the Lord. But another another kindness of the Lord is just his gentleness with us. He treats us gently. He will not cast us out because of parenting mistakes that we have made. He is patient with us. Uh, he has shown us his grace in the gospel. And, and, and I tell my girls this, I've been telling this, this for, from a young age, you know, they, they want to hide, they want to deflect, they want to lie about sin, they want to avoid me because they want to avoid discipline. I'm just trying to reinforce them. When you have a problem, I'm on your team. I might have to discipline you, and it might be hard, but ultimately I'm on your team. I'm looking out for you. There are a lot of people in this world who are not on your team. Satan's not on your team. The flesh within you, not on your team. I'm on your team. I, it might be hard, but I'm, I'm here to help you. And I've been trying to teach them that that if, if they're looking for a place to come to receive grace, they can come to mommy and daddy. And, and even if there's discipline, that's going to be with grace. And one of the reasons I want to do that is because that's the case for the Lord. He is gentle with a bruised reed, and he will be gentle with us and forgiving towards us and kind to us as parents. So if you look back and say, I have not done the best that I could have done, well, then the Lord is gracious that he's let you know that, and you see that now. The Lord will be gracious to help you as you move forward through that, and you can trust that the Lord will be kind to you and kind to your children in ways that you do not deserve. Well, I appreciate your time on this, and uh, I know we could talk for another hour probably, but we'll probably end it here. So thanks, brother. I look forward to our time together uh, next time. Appreciate it, Jared. 